I would like, if I may, to take you on a really fucking strange journey. Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. It is May the 4th, and I have a fantastic show for you this week. Now, because next week is the satanic witches special, this week is going to be a combination of the traditional first and second episode of the month. So we're going to start off with I Dream of Jesse, episode 13, Guilt and Shame, part 2, Press Secretary. And we're going to, instead of the uh, Infernal Informant, drop a down to the crossroads. And this is episode 23, Nobody Loves Me But My Mother. And then we're going to close it out, I believe, with an Old Nick Peep show, episode 8. So look forward to that at the end. i got a couple things I want to touch on before we start. Okay, so first and foremost, I hope you guys digged the uh, Valpurgisnacht special last week with Magistra Peggy Nadramia. She was fantastic, and I had a lot of fun conducting that interview, and uh, I mean, just listening to it, there's a lot of information to be gleaned, and um, there's nothing wrong with getting to know a little bit more about your high priestess. So, definitely check that out if you haven't already. It's on YouTube, uh, Nine Cents Podcast YouTube channel. Or you can just go to uh, the RSS feed or the website 9centspodcast.com and check out the MP3 episode uh, if you're going to take it with you. So definitely, it's worth it. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Um, So for those of you who have tuned in to the live, uh, the Get to Know the episodes or the Voices of Nine Cents episodes, uh, the one that I did, I was asked a question about goals. And I, I closed out one of the big goals, which was getting a solar panel system on my roof for my home. And I had mentioned that another goal of mine was to um, get drum up some more freelance business um, to do some more work. And holy hell, be careful what you ask for people because I'm insanely fucking busy right now. I mean, just like, crazy 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 busy i don't i don't know what it's it's like it's either feast or famine i mean that's that's really genuinely the case here i've got um three websites that i'm directly working on two that i'm indirectly working on which is advisory or non um uh you know not intensive work uh, just sort of updates and stuff like that, and new projects underway. And so, I've, I, because of this, I have to push off a lot of other things. And if that means you know a little preparation for this show, or if that means um, some friends that ask me for favors, you know, I just I can't, I can't meet everyone's needs, and I kind of have to pick and choose. And so, you know, I'm, I'm still paying for you know, some home remodeling projects that have just gone through. And so I have to kind of, you know, have focus on the higher paying gigs 
but you know, just to say, I'm like losing time. Like I, I don't know what to do. And it here's one strange thing that I always notice. Like going through college, I was so busy. I was working and going to college um, full time. And you have a handful of creative classes that all have their own assignments and projects and deadlines. And so you have to be able to manage your time incredibly well. And you get into this, or at least I got into this pace of, um, like, I, I can work under pressure really, really well. You know, just managing multiple clients, multiple tasks uh, in, in a really, really good way. But I get in that mode, you know, I, I get used to it. And so when I am in that mode and then suddenly I stuck, get out of that mode, it's, uh, I, I feel like I should be doing things and I'm not doing them. And then it's hard to get back in. It's the transitionary phase. So I don't mind not having anything to do. Well, I don't really like it, but I don't mind it. And then I, I don't mind if I have a ton to do, but I don't like the in-betweens, like the, the, the transitionary period between either tons and nothing. It drives me crazy. I, the anticipation of doing a lot of work is just as stressful to me as the anticipation of having nothing to do. And so I always try to stay in one of the two realms of living, you know? I always try to keep myself crazy, crazy busy because when I'm not crazy busy, I, I feel uncomfortable. I feel like I'm wasting time. I feel like I should be doing something and I'm not. And I'm not really happy. I get all antsy and all moody and... I'm just not a, a, a really good person to be around. So I, I, I definitely, because I have been focusing on jumping up business and working a lot, I'm just in that mode of, fuck, I don't even know if I can produce this podcast on time anymore, uh, but I'm going to do my best. But, you know, just if, if I lapse a few times, which I haven't ever done yet, but if I do, you know why. I'm, I'm just a little too busy in my real life. Um, we got chickens i don't i think i mentioned it already on the show once before so the you know my parents have chickens and they always give us their leftover eggs my uh parent parents in law my in-laws have chickens uh and they give us like leftover eggs and stuff and so we thought it would be idea hey we don't get enough fucking eggs let's have our own chickens but more than that there's just this i i enjoy the chase of doing my own. You know, I, I don't like to rely on society. I, I don't want to rely on the grid for my power. I don't want to rely on the um, uh, supermarket for my food. I don't want to rely, I definitely don't want to rely on the supermarket for my wine and beer. And so I, I do it as much as I can myself, myself meaning my family. And so we garden and we brew and we, um, you know, obviously the solar energy, we generate um, what, what we can to offset the need. I, I like the idea of living off the grid and sort of having animals to help um, supplement your garden is just another step down that same road. Um, and so, it, and it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, you get these cute little chicks and then you sort of, you know, grow them. I don't even know if that, <laughs> that sounds weird, like they're a plant or something, but you know, you take care of them so that they can ultimately take care of you and it's really, really wonderful. You get attached to them, you give them names, 
and they each have their own little personality quirks and you can totally tell them apart which i never thought i would be able to do all chickens look the same kind of like all white people <laughs> look the same that's right whitey you all smell like baloney and you look the fucking same oh uh, it's funny because i'm white um but uh yeah and, and you know what the baloney comment a puerto rican soldier of mine uh said that every single puerto rican he'd ever met um, like him, old school Boricua uh, from Puerto Rico, they all think white people smell like baloney. Like, <laughs> I thought that was the weirdest thing I'd ever heard in my life. I never realized I might smell like baloney. I don't even eat baloney, but apparently, <laughs> it's, I don't know, it's it's in my blood or something. Huh? Different baloney race. Um, what was my point? <laughs> I don't fucking know what my point was. Uh so, you know, we, we're having these chickens and you can totally tell them apart. And it's it's all fun and games. And this actually parallels parenting. It's really great seeing your children grow and um, helping them throughout that growth process up until the point that they shit everywhere. <laughs> now, <laughs> honestly, chickens are much worse than kids. But uh, babies poop a lot and it's not so good. And that transitionary phase between diapers and toilet training is is uh it's it's a challenging one and i'm at that transition stage with these damn chickens dude they it's just like you want it you know the, the you incubate them in the home because it's warm and it's a controlled environment and then you get a coop and then you put them outside when they're old enough and we're at the home phase right now and so you know it's been a little bit too cold in the past couple weeks to take them outside and let them run around in the dirt and sort of peck at the ground themselves. And so we've been just sort of, you know, getting to know them, handling them in the house. But they shit everywhere. Literally everywhere. And there's no warning. Like, you know, with a baby, they usually pull a face or something before they, you know, they, they do their business. But chickens, they, they're just pecking and moving and pooping at the same exact time. And it's gross. It is just everywhere. And it's all... You know, I don't know, man. It's it's really gross poop. So <laughs> you you want to enjoy these these animals that eventually are going to be you know providing food for you uh, by the way of eggs. But then and and obviously you want to have a good relationship so that when you go out and interact with them that they'll respond to you and they'll come up to you. But you got to clean up the poop. This is like the worst part. Like a, a veg, plant life is so easy. You provide sunlight and you provide water and that's it. You know, you take care of their bed. But other than that, you don't have to pick up poop. You know, you have to deal with pests trying to eat it. But the, it's the animals, man, the, the poop that comes with it. I'm just not a fan. And here's the other thing. Never once seen him pee. I've never experienced the chicken pee, but I tell you what, they shit a lot, so I don't get it. I, I'm I'm at a point where I'm a grown man, and I'm thinking, like asking myself, honestly, do chickens pee? <laughs> like, of course they pee, but I haven't seen it. Like, what the fuck? Why, why are they just pooping? Everything pees. If it poops, then it pees, but chickens don't. They just poop. Ah! It's weird. It's it's like this thing as a kid for the longest time. I genuinely thought that all cats were girls and all dogs were boys. Like, you know it's not real, but you just sort of convince yourself of these ideas. And I'm kind of convinced that chickens don't pee right now. 
<laughs> it just doesn't happen. They just poop everywhere and I have to clean it up. Um, okay, so I'm going to move on from chickens. Really terrible transition here. Next week, the Satanic Witch episode. All right, I'm going to ask you guys, if you have any questions, I know this is not very much notice. I posted on some social networking sites for nine cents about this. But if you have anything that you want us to cover... Uh, we are ready to cover it. And if you want us to speak to a spe specific idea or an experience that you had or advice around that lines, um, we're going to talk about it. And so please send us your questions, info at 9centspodcast.com. There's a contact form on the website. So if you want to uh, send us the email that way, you can as well. Uh, this is going to be Jesse from I Dream of Jesse and Aaron from Down to the Crossroads. Two beautiful and successful satanic witches in their own right are going to be speaking to what I love most in this world, witches. <laughs> so it's going to be a really great episode. And this was sort of uh, off the cuff. You know, a couple weeks ago, we just sort of batted the idea around and we just said, all right, fuck it, let's just do it. And this could end up being an annual thing if, you know, kind of like the, the greater magic thing is if we get enough interest so i think it's worth it you know we spend a lot of time talking about greater magic in those greater magic episodes uh once a year why not talk about lesser magic and more specifically satanic witchery it's not just for the girls though i think this is probably going to center around the girls um so you know look forward to that next week and if you do submit something thank you very much for being a part of nine cents and uh, helping make this a wonderful podcast and valuable for everyone listening and then another project that i don't i'm not 100 percent sure it's going to happen but i'm it may and it's again one of those things where i I bite off a lot more than I can chew sometimes. I've gotten a lot of really great correspondence from all of you listeners throughout the years that I've been doing this. Uh, some of the correspondence a little better than others, let's be honest. Some more obsessive than others, uh, to be fair. Uh, but it's all good, and I value it all, no matter what form it takes. But some of them are genuine questions. And I've talked about this, I think, a year, maybe two years ago, about doing uh, like an article, like a column, uh, you know, nine cents letters, which I turned into a segment on the podcast, but I, I've always still liked the idea of doing a written column and then syndicating that column in a bunch of different satanic publications. Uh, I've gotten an opportunity where I think it's going, you know, it has a chance of being included in a really, really good one. And I'm kind of excited for it. So I'm going to be collecting up previous year's questions to make a really interesting article out of it you know i'll have probably i don't know three to five uh different questions that i address in each released column so if you have a question and you want to be a part of this then send me those questions info at nine centspodcast.com make sure i understand that it's four nine cents letters uh, so i don't just reply to it as if it's just off the cuff and uh if it's good and if my response is going to be of value to other people then i will include it and uh yeah it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun and i have a lot of you know i'm, I'm looking forward to this i think this is going to be great it's it's i've always said that nine cents podcast will only live nine years nine years of nine cents and it's over uh i can cover a lot of ground in nine years and you know as i approach the halfway point 
I've covered a lot of grounds. So it just makes sense that if nine cents is going to live beyond the nine years, it's going to be through a column, uh, you know, infrequent uh, Q&A thing, you know, just article published in different publications. And that's, I, I think I'm going to do that. I, I think we're going to try to make that happen. So if you want to be a part of it, I appreciate it. And let's move into the future together. Uh, with that in mind, send me your questions. How about, you know, we have a lot of really fantastic episodes this week. Let's go ahead and dive into I Dream of Jesse, I think. Yeah, let's do that. Jesse! What do you want? Well, first, Jesse, I'd, I'd, I'd like you to address me as master. I, I am your master, after all. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes, master. That's better. Now look, I've got guests coming over tonight, and I want you to entertain them. What do I look like, a belly dancer? Oh, I, I assumed that was part... I mean, the outfit, it, it kind of suggests... You may be used to dance. Listen, the gin put me in the bottle. He forgot to add the preservatives. Now, the outfit may be wrinkle-free, but what in it ain't. You don't like it? Call the number on the bottle and complain. We like to think of ourselves as being our own masters, our own gods. But there is danger in taking this the wrong way. It is a fact that not all of our actions are consciously controlled. A definitive demonstration of this was done with split brain patients, patients whose corpus callosum had been severed. The right half of our bodies sends sensory inputs and takes commands from the left half of our brains. The left half of our bodies does the same with the right half of our brains. But only the left half of the brain is capable of speech. So in these experiments, patients would see one image with their right brain and another with their left. Their right brain would move their left hand to push a button with a corresponding image, and the left brain would have to explain verbally why the hand did what it did, having only its viewable image to work with. So let's say the right brain saw a picture of eggs. It would reach the left hand out to press a button to correspond with a chicken. The left brain, meanwhile, is seeing a picture of a shovel. Asked to explain why it pressed a button for a chicken, the left brain has to confabulate something and come up with Oh, I thought of shoveling droppings out of the hen house, of course. The patient's explanations from their left brains were obviously purely confabulation, intended to make prior actions seem rational and consistent. The patients had no idea they were doing this. They really believed that's why they pushed those buttons. Our conscious minds have been described as being more like press secretaries than rulers of ourselves. A ruler would be able to carefully pre-plan our actions for our most favorable outcomes. But our conscious minds don't do this. A lot of decisions are made unconsciously. The conscious mind as press secretary has to look at the events that have transpired and try to fit them into an ongoing narrative of the self, and do this in such a way as to make the self look as good as possible in the process. And he has to do this without knowing all the facts. Press secretaries are often kept in the dark, told only what they need to know, so that they can do their jobs most effectively. Our unconscious minds, by definition, don't tell our conscious minds what they're up to. So the conscious mind takes up spin doctoring and storytelling. We're all good at this, but we're all also pretty good critics and can spot inconsistencies in these made-up narratives. 
Lucy Ricardo, lead character of the TV show I Love Lucy, had a press secretary in her head that insisted she was the perfect wife. Then on impulse, she'd do something imperfect, and next thing you know, her husband Ricky is confronting her. Lucy, you got some splainin' to do. When we're confronted with our own inconsistencies, our internal press secretaries roll up their sleeves and get busy. Never underestimate your press secretary's ability to fool you. By the time the story is laid out, your inconsistent act will appear to have been the only rational choice a person with your values and convictions could have made in such a situation. Lucy Ricardo's press secretary couldn't fool anyone, not even Lucy, and that's what made her a funny character. But you're not a funny character. You're a rational being, acting with the best intentions for you and your loved ones. And any mistakes you make are due to misunderstandings or ignorance of the facts. Really, just ask you. The problem with having a press secretary, though, is that it's pretty much their job to manage your approval rating. It's not enough that your made-up narrative be consistent enough to fool yourself and others. It's got to present you in as flattering a light as possible. Never the villain, often the hero, rarely the victim, sometimes the shark. These are the roles we use to describe ourselves to ourselves and anyone else who will listen. We tell it to ourselves to avoid guilt. We tell it to others to avoid shame. But here's an interesting thing about shame. We can't always shame each other. If the divide between two people is too great, it just doesn't work. President Obama's real, literal press secretary isn't going to try to win over birthers. His job is to make Obama look good to Obama's voters and to those on the fence. And in this way, the conscious mind as press secretary analogy holds up. Because let's say you get scolded for not going to church on Sunday. You're not going to feel ashamed. The person scolding you may as well be speaking a foreign language. There isn't enough commonality for their lack of acceptance of you to register. But if you're thinking that's a good thing, think again. The more limited a crowd you try to please, the more limited a set of behaviors remain allowable. But Jesse, we're Satanists. We aren't trying to please a crowd. Great, happy to hear it, but you're still trying to please yourself. Your press secretary is still telling you that every choice you make has some rational explanation. Those rational explanations then get incorporated into our ever-evolving concept of ourselves, and these can be limiting. There have been studies done on identical twins raised apart that show certain underlying values are heritable. These values, when you look at a population the size of the United States, become what we call loosely liberal, conservative, or less commonly libertarian. They're values like how much you value compassion or freedom or sanctity. What you value is luck of the draw, toss of the genetic dice, and what you value will very probably stay with you until your death. How those values manifest themselves is heavily influenced by culture. If you strongly value sanctity and were raised Christian in a Christian area, then even if you lose the faith, atheism might seem distasteful, particularly when it promotes itself through such means as National Blasphemy Day. If you strongly value compassion and were raised near homeless shelters and soup kitchens, the wealth of the 1% might seem distasteful. Now, whether Blasphemy Day is a bad idea or the one percenter should take a pay cut is not the issue here. I'm using these to demonstrate that we are born with values that others do not share and raised in cultures that others do not share. It would be solipsistic for the smartest, most articulate, most well-meaning participant in Occupy Wall Street to think he can shame the one percent. Not going to happen he may as well be speaking a foreign language. But the smartest, most articulate, and well-meaning participant of Occupy Wall Street can be shamed by his peers and can guilt-trip himself when his intelligence and eloquence lands him a good job. 
And this is where having an internal press secretary that only plays to the constituency becomes a problem for us. If our former occupier, now wearing a suit and tie, could only be shamed by the 1% into making more money by working harder, he might just gain a little perspective. But he can't be shamed by them. He can be shamed by his unemployed friends who share his values into taking a lower-paying job that serves the community and wastes his talents. Worse, his unemployed friends don't need to say a word. The story he's built up for himself, of himself, already includes fighting the man and advocating for the poor. He'll guilt-trip himself into achieving less, and the more he gives up to keep his narrative consistent, the more willing he'll be to shame others from a similar background with similar values should they ever dare to sell out. Our internal press secretaries can really get us in a bind. The good news is that the analogy does eventually fall apart. Our conscious mind doesn't just spin tales of why we do what we do. It also deliberates and decides and causes us to do things. Not all of our behaviors are subconsciously motivated. Your press secretary, left unchecked, would put you in a pigeonhole narrative that includes only the most approved characteristics. This narrative, because we want to think of ourselves as consistent, would limit us to behaviors that cause no guilt and incur no shame from your tightest group of supporters. But you can expand your narrative by changing the behaviors you do consciously control. Been a vegan for 10 years? Go befriend a cattle rancher or a taxidermist. If you like to read, take a dancing class. If you like cars, hang out with an avid gardener. Talk about cars while pulling up weeds. Behave like someone you are not. Leave it to your press secretary to figure out what sort of person that makes you. Don't worry, the little guy in your gray matter is indefatigable, he'll fit it in. And then what will you have? A self-narrative that includes being more open-minded, one that includes having a wider perspective. And your press secretary will recognize a much wider constituency, one so large that they can't all be pleased all the time. Your press secretary will learn to take a few punches and roll with them. You've got a lot of friends, after all, and for everyone that disapproves of one activity, another will approve of it even more strongly. Look, for everything we value, there is accompanying guilt and shame. Say you value the welfare of animals. You may feel guilty eating meat. Yield to that guilt, and you might find the group of people you identify as friends, what your press secretary considers your constituency, you might find them growing more vegan over time as people come and go. Soon those around you start shaming you into not wearing leather. You find yourself associating increasingly with extreme leftists, and next thing you know, GMO crops are off the table as well. Then you're against logging in the Amazon. Then you're hugging trees. Then you're wearing hemp. Then you're smoking pot and stinking of patchouli. Next thing you know, you've hit rock bottom and joined Adam Campbell's satanic hippie commune. Jesus H. Christ, where did you go wrong? I jest, but the point is, if you hold a value sacred and try to behave consistent with that value, you do begin to pigeonhole yourself. You can pigeonhole yourself as a hippie or a capitalist tycoon, it doesn't matter. What matters is you are consistent and predictable and therefore safe. People who succumb to guilt and shame from any group, adhering to any set of values left or right, are safe. Would you ever want to be someone whose attitudes and actions can be safely predicted by those around you? Doesn't that level of consistency and predictability make you the perfect mark? Behave as someone you are not, or at least not yet. Inconsistency only feels weird for a while. The guilt and shame of moving beyond your own self-imposed rules fades fast as your press secretary polishes your image. The end result is an expanded self-narrative, an open mind, and a greater sense of perspective. It is well worth the effort.
that day you will. Sure you won't stay out in this blackout? Sure is dark tonight. Thank you for the ride, sir. I think I'll be fine. See yourself. What are you doing out here? Oh, I'm, I'm headed down to the crossroads. <laughs> Wait, Miss. You can't be. You're the, you're the devil. devil. But you're, you're beautiful. beautiful. Just sign here. Oh my God. Hello, everybody. It's your old pal, me. <laughs> and it's... Hi, me. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Uh, it's time for Down to the Crossroads again. So happy Hell Mother's yeah. Day, all you mothers. You mothers. Yeah, that's my I theme. I love me some mothers. mothers. Um, so you were surprised to see B.B. King on here, huh? Yeah, looking at the, the playlist for this episode. And I want to remind everyone really quick before we dive in. You too can listen to these tracks. Just go to either the Down to the Cross book <laughs> down to the, the crossroads facebook page facebook page that's what i called the show earlier today what down to the crosswords <laughs> <laughs> so i'm starting a spin-off segment is what i'm trying to tell you nice it's gonna be like a quiz show thing down to the crosswords with friends Ex well kind of no <laughs> that could be kind of cool we'll think of, let's talk about it Okay, so okay, so the, the tracks, while we're talking about it and you hear us sort of responding to this music you can't hear, get your butt over to the, either the Facebook page, again, Down to the Crossroads, or go to 9centspodcast.com slash Down to the Crossroads, and you too can check out each track from every single Down to the Crossroads episode. This is amazing music, and it is all put together by Erin. I mean, she didn't compose the music, let's be honest, but she put together the lists and provided them to you so that you could enjoy it with us. So do so. I mean, would it fucking kill you to listen Seriously. along? Yeah, and I, I want to make sure that people who are like, um, what is the point of that segment? Just you guys <laughs> talking to each other? No. Do people say that? <laughs> the point... I, I'm just making shit up. <laughs> you need to be listening to the music with us so that you understand. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll get it if you just uh, go to those, one of those two places and play these tracks. Okay, so, like I was just saying a second ago, B.B. King is on this. Yeah. I remember early on, one of the first episodes you and I had ever recorded, uh -huh. um, we were kind of making fun of B.B. King, I think. Oh, for sure. That's not to say he doesn't have some good music. All right. Did, did I tell you the story about how B.B. King was supposed to be my first concert when I was a kid? Do you remember um, that story? I'm not sure if I do remember <laughs> it. You might have told it, but I don't remember it. It, well, it's not, I mean, I guess that's it. I sort of buried it. <laughs> that's why I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, uh, I don't know, 10 or 12 or something like that. And I was, we, my family was going to see BB King, but I was such a shithead that they uh, locked me in the closet and went without me. Whoa. <laughs> so That's instead, some carry shit right there. Yeah, I was a fucking asshole when I was a kid. I mean, I'm sure. Right, no, when you're a kid. No one can yep. imagine <laughs> me the sweetheart that I am today right. being anything other than that. But I was hell on wheels when I was a child. So were you like in a wheelchair or you just had a lot of skates or I was an asshole. <laughs> what I'd say. <laughs> I was the biggest asshole. Is your daughter an asshole? Yet? Oh my gosh. 
all of my children. <laughs> oh, really? See, all think... children in general, I think, but some worse than others. Yeah. Well, I was worse of the worst. I was just a total shithead. So, I mean, is it because you didn't have a pony yet? I mean, what was... <laughs> I was definitely spoiled. I will admit to that. I would throw epic fucking tantrums. I remember my first tantrum was over a Cabbage Patch doll. And oh boy. I, I laid down in that fucking Toys R Us aisle and absolutely refused to move until my mom put a Cabbage Patch doll on layaway for me. Holy shit. Because <laughs> we couldn't afford to just buy it. But I was like, there's no fucking way I'm leaving. And I got my goddamn doll. Whoa. <laughs> That's how I operate. Nope. I just pitch a fit <laughs> until I get it. Not the most finessed lesser magic, but <laughs> well, <laughs> suppose if it I worked. Like to, I like to think I've matured some since those days. <laughs> I'm not fucking leaving till I get my roses, Josh. <laughs> Give me my fucking roses. Yeah. Nice. So, shall we listen to some music? Yeah, yeah. Are we going right. to start with BB King? Yeah, let's do it. All right. You hear that? Okay, piano? so l let me just say first off, the reason why I don't love BB King is because right. he's too refined for me. He's like Mr. Blues. You know, yeah. everyone knows BB King. He's pretty much the most well known and the most influential blues guitarist of all time. So, yeah, there's a sort of like, oh, like, you hear him on commercials, you know, he's like doing some diabetes commercials and shit. So everyone's like, oh, he's just that guy. Like he's ubiquitous, you know, so much so that people sort of, he's almost silent. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's just like, oh, there's that fat blues singer. Nobody gives a shit because you just see him all the time. <laughs> but it's easy to forget that he, I mean, he is who he is because he's fucking good at what he does. You know, he's yeah. been... For, you know, his career has lasted about, you know, 60 years. He still plays today. Um, and most of his career is doing like 250 performances a year, which is absurd, you know. And and I bet he sells out almost everyone. Oh, absolutely. So everybody knows him. He, like I said, he's ubiquitous. But let's there's we shouldn't forget that he was once, you know, unknown and amazing. Like this is just an incredibly good blues song right here. <laughs> okay, so that short, was actually, mm -hmm. that was really short. Yeah. And that was like like a minute. And I, I, it was a little bit slow getting up there, just a little bit of moaning, which in general, <laughs> I kind of dig when it's uh, music. But then he like breaks out. We were talking about, he breaks out, nobody loves me but my mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that idea. And she, and she could be jiving me too. That's the punchline to it. <laughs> Like, nobody loves me but my mom, but even she might not love me, so. <laughs> <laughs> and could it be because he just would not get out of that fucking Cabbage Patch aisle until... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, if, if I were my mother, I would never have loved me. I don't know how she managed that. <laughs> I would have left me on a doorstep a long yeah. ago. Or in a closet, you know, just... <laughs> <laughs> I, I should say that they didn't just, like, leave me in the closet while they left for hours. That was just the preemptive, like, cool down. That's, that's how they got away from you? <laughs> and yeah, you and then broke I broke out. the door down and chased them on foot <laughs> to the classroom. <laughs> but I missed it. Oh, <laughs> and then I hitchhiked man. home. 
<laughs> nice story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Total. So, almost completely fabricated. So this theme, is, is this first song informing the theme of this Down at the Crossroads? Well, this is for Mother's Day. I, yeah. I picked three songs about mothers, maybe some a little tangentially about mothers, like it maybe starts talking about a mother and then evolves into something else. But uh, yeah, these are just three really good songs too. <laughs> nice. Do you want to dive into the second yeah, one? Yeah, this next one, I'm gonna hit play on that. It's called I Had a Good Father and Mother and it's by Washington Phillips. And he is an insanely beautiful, songbird <laughs> and he plays these crazy instruments that's some like somewhere between a harp and a zither and it's like this instrument that oh and there's all kinds of like scholarly debate about what actual instrument he's playing along with this so i'll shut up for just a second if you listen to the sound of it it's almost like like a child's music box or it sort of sounds like glass almost it's this crazy sound and um you know, like I said, there's some debate about what it, the instrument is. Some people say it was um, something called a celestophone, <laughs> but probably it's an instrument that he just created in his own like basement. It was like two, he had two instruments that he would attach side by side and then play them um, like two, and they were tuned to different octaves instead of the unisons. And it just, this crazy sound that I've never heard replicated I'd never heard before, never heard since, and it's completely unique to Washington Phillips. This is kind of like freaking me out. Like it's this, freaky, I, right? It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. It's very weird. It's ethereal. You know, it doesn't almost doesn't exist. <laughs> it's a very angelic sound, but it's also spooky. You know, <laughs> it's almost this, like the theremin. The chorus part is what kind of yeah. bothers me. Yeah, it's great. It's him. It's him soloing on this instrument and then doing this sort of falsetto hum. Yeah, that's it's not it's not in tune. It's sort of. Um, uh yeah sort of harmonizing with this creepy instrument it's it's strange it's spooky <laughs> i could see it in like a twilight zone episode and it's been you know his songs have been used in some soundtracks like Werner herzog put him in one of his movies and uh he's just yeah there's verse something very southern gothic about him you know he had a sort of you know, we only recorded like less than 20 songs and not you, not all of them even survived. But, you know, he started out in like the, you know, cotton fields and he ended up becoming like a Jack Lake preacher who would just travel around preaching in tents because, you know, just kind of had no home. And yeah, like I said, he only recorded, I think, 18 songs. Wow. But it's just hypnotic and, you know, it's creepy, like you said. It's this sort of old, weird America and Southern Gothic shit. The song's like, called I Had a Good Father and Mother. The right. album's called The Key to the Kingdom. So is he was he, like, wildly religious? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> that was his jam, for sure. He was a preacher, like I said. And, um, yeah. Just the, an abrupt end, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's creepy. It's I I love it. That's it's just a perfect song, if you ask me. God damn, that made me feel like kinda weird. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I wanna jump up and praise the Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well that's what I, you know, I I think that's a a good point about him, is it's 
his his sort of re- religiosity was incredibly sincere. <laughs> you know, mm. he wasn't like an evangelist. He didn't travel around like trying to like snake oil salesman kind of religion. Um, he really believed that this life on earth was a living hell and <laughs> everything was about the reward. Everything was about getting to heaven. That's what this song was about is that, you know, he had a good mother and father and then they croaked and now they're up in heaven and they're waiting for him and someday he's going to meet them again and you know everything will be as it should be and that's you know that's your reward is in heaven and And i gotta say if mm -hmm. if you're a slave on a cotton plantation i would believe the same motherfucking thing like how could you not it would be so horrible of a life oh yeah it's easy to understand where um you know, where religion comes from, how it, you know, propagated and why it's lasted as long as it has, because it is such, you know, oh, wouldn't it be great? I mean, it's just so great to think, yes, someday, like, I'm going to meet my fucking, all my dead relatives that I miss and, you know, and it's all going to be great in the end. Like, if you're a fucking idiot and you can believe that, you will. (laughs) Who wouldn't want to believe that? And even if, I mean, even if they're, you know, rational thinking sure, human sure. beings, like they have nothing else to look forward to. Like their days are filled with pain and beating. So mm-hmm. y- you have to find a way to escape and fantasy is an amazing way to do so. Oh, yeah. Our entire culture is based around that. You know, it's escaping to movies and to TV shows. And, you know, we're, we're a, a species that does nothing but escape reality. So when yep. times are tough, it just makes pure per- perfect sense. As Elvis Costello once said, imagination is a powerful deceiver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. That just reminded me of uh, uh, the Use Your Illusion album. <laughs> sure, because of course, Guns N' Roses, Elvis Costello. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> Go on. No, the, the whole premise of it, you know, everyone's got their own illusions. You've got uh-huh. yours. Like, okay, so uh, sure. what's next here? Who's this? All right, let's hit play on... Now, this is Robert Pete Williams, and I have talked about him, I think, a couple times before, and that is because he is my favorite. (laughs) I dig this. This is my homeboy right here. So, yeah. This is, I was talking, when I was talking about Washington Phillips, I was talking about authenticity, and I don't think there's any blues musician in my esteem, that is any more authentic than Robert Pete Williams. There's something very uh, unselfconscious about the way he sings and plays. And I think, you know, he spent his life, he was discovered in Angola prison, where he was serving a life sentence for killing a man. And uh, he claimed that it was self-defense, and that's fine. I'm I would too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would, I would too, exactly. Oh, there we go. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's absolutely my favorite, and <laughs> both his singing style and his guitar playing are, compl- you know, so unconventional and unorthodox and um, almost avant-garde. You know, it's very, like I said, very unselfconscious. He doesn't think about what he's doing or what he's saying or what's happening. He's just feeling it. You know, he's just playing it, and. Uh, it's almost, you know, he's very crude. I've seen a lot of great, uh, there's a lot of footage of him sort of on his, because when he, um, so he went to prison in 1956 for killing a guy. And he was to serve a life sentence, but he was paroled two years later um, because 
these ethnomusicologists and folklorists discovered him. And so they kind of went to bat for him and got him um, paroled early from prison. But he did go into this indentured servitude. So there's some really great videos on YouTube you can find of him just sitting on a tractor, like taking a break from working in the field, just sitting down, sweating, and just singing the song that he's like, oh, I just made this up. I just, you know, I totally just made up all of this beautiful shit I just told you. And I mean, I love this guitar, man. Everything he does is fucking pure gold. You know, it's improvisational and it's, but it's challenging too. It's idiosyncratic. You know, no one else plays like him. You can listen to hours of blues music and you'll never hear this kind of guitar solo. This kind of yeah, this and, shit right here. Equally, <laughs> like, you could just listen to hours of this and never be tired of it. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like a lot of his songs are just one chord sort of over and over and over again and him just sort of every once in a while throwing in some like fluid accompaniment. But basically it's just, I mean, it's fucking hypnotic. And if you, you know, close your eyes, put on headphones and just sit in the dark, this will transport you, I guarantee. It's mesmerizing and it's, you know, it's really reminiscent of old those old like Negro field, field haulers where you're mm -hmm. just shouting in the dark, like for some sort of <laughs> salvation or some sort of relief from the fucking horrible life that is your life. <laughs> and that's, I think, everything about him. When I think about him, I picture him just sitting there sweating, like, I mean, he's black as pitch, you know, and he's just sitting in the sun with his shirt half off and just sweating and just ripping into this guitar. And, you know, you can just hear it in his voice. It's almost like a scream for help, you know? It's very, very authentic to me. So there you, you go. You mentioned something a second ago um, mm -hmm. about putting on earphones and, and just listening oh, to yeah. music. Do you think do you think that's a lost act? Do you think people <gasps> do that stuff? Oh yeah, no, I don't. This is something that Josh and I talk about all the time. Because when I was in like high school, high school age, you know, sort of after graduation for a while too, like my favorite activity was when hanging out with my buddies was to listen to music, to like sit around put on some music and just lay around and, and then talk about it afterwards. And then if yeah. I was by myself, I'd go home, put headphones on, kick back on the bed, just like almost famous, you know, like a scene from one of those movies where I just, and then just listen to music. And there's, I don't think people do that anymore. I don't think people buy albums. You know what I mean? Like everything's, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to spin off into fucking old lady land, but <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I just referenced, I just said necking yesterday, so oh, I don't mind being in the old person land uh, with someone else. Right. <laughs> just fucking mocked by a bunch of 20 year olds for calling oh, something necking. God. Man, <laughs> I hang out with some 20 year olds at work and it is depressing how out <laughs> of touch I am. It's wild. Okay, so on the, I'm going to fucking spiral her just, just for a fucking second. Sure. Um, body image and, and the way you present yourself. So when I was a kid, it was this is so fucking, I feel so dumb saying this. Uh, girls looked awesome. I mean, sure. they, they were trim and they, you know, took care of themselves and it was good. Now, it, like, I go to this photo shoot with a bunch of 20 somethings. And they're all muffin tops and like just messy as all hell. And not one of them takes any care of themselves. So they just look ragged, even though they're fucking 20, like two ish. Mm. It was so fucking sad. So I'm thinking like, you know, putting myself in the place of the guys in that place. I'm like, I would not want to have sex with one of these people. Like, 
this if this is the best you guys have. These are the girls at your party. I feel so sorry for you. You should have been around when I was a fucking kid because women look so good. <laughs> yeah, but it's all cultural in the sense that that's probably what the boys like because that's what they are used to, you know? Yeah, I don't know. It, it was just messy and it was gross and I <laughs> felt really, really sorry for them. I felt like they were missing out on what women could actually be. I mean, they I were think, just, oh, just fucking messy. Women in the 80s were pretty super hot, right? And I don't know if, if I think that because I grew up then. Yeah, I think you do. I think so. But like even comparing, you know, like, and I'm not saying the fashion. I don't, I really no, don't dig right, 80s right. fashion, but just we're talking about know, body movies. types. I, it was so much different. And I don't know if it's just because nowadays, you know, it's so, so much more of a sedimentary life. No, 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 no. I don't think that's it. I mean. Really? Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. <laughs> um. Why I think I don't think so. I think that we remember the '80s as well. This I'll speak for myself. I remember the '80s like naked, hot ladies. I remember them through finding my dad's Playboy in the bathroom and seeing oh, these really? women wearing, you know, their hair in a ponytail and like only sneakers and like high top sneakers and fluffy socks, <laughs> and their their boobs are like tan line. You know, there's a lot of tan line. There's yeah, a lot there's of a lot of tan lines. But that's so that's how I, rem I think of hot ladies from the 80s, you know, air quotes. That's a hot chick from the 80s because that's what I saw. But I don't think we saw, you know, it's but those were the women that were in magazines at that time. Yeah. So the, we were talking about like real people and those aren't people that are in magazines. So I think no, in the I mean, 80s, I... there was a fair share of these these muffin topped, uh, you know, slobs but they just weren't we don't remember them because they weren't in our subconscious they i mean they weren't in my group of fucking kids i hung with either i mean i didn't I, we would ah uh, you could have a really great we were really shallow you could have a really great personality <laughs> but if you didn't back that up with some sort of you know appearance mm -hmm. you get the, you, you're not with us like we're not gonna hang with you and so the, the girls looked good and, you know, they were they were a little edgy because, you know, I considered myself a rocker. And so we hung out with sort of metal girls. But, you know, so they were a little rough around the edges, but they still took care of themselves. Like it, not like these girls that I was with. They, they were fucking gross, man. And, and so to, to play off the idea of, of uh, you know, where we started on that, it's just changed. Like my my son likes music by the song. I was raised where I would take a t tape and I'd put it in I'd unlo like take out a little tape case and unfold mm. it and read it and look at the images. And right. then if I was lucky enough to have a record, then I'd put the record on it, open up the record and I'd look at the record. And like, it was a whole experience of experiencing the album through the eyes of the music through the eyes in, in the context of an album, uh, through the eyes of the band. And nowadays it's just so not like that at all. Like, it's really, really frustrating because it's hard to e expose people to new music. And in my, what I'm talking about is my kids to you know let them know about music when they don't have the patience of listening to an album. Yeah. And it, it's just you know ten seconds of a song, and they're like, meh, I don't care anymore. Like you don't understand. Like this whole, <laughs> you have to listen to the whole song, and they just don't want to. And it's just so frustrating. It's so it's a lost art. So, you know segments like this where we're going through three complete songs uh talking about the artists and and what was happening around the time of the song and and how these songs make us think and feel 
I don't know. Is this a lost thing? Like, are we just like battling no one? <laughs> are we informing nah. anyone? It, it's it's sad because I love this stuff so much. I want, you know, a little solipsistic here. I want to think that everyone else does too. Uh-huh. I, I would like to think my kids will someday, but fuck, I don't know. That don't idea of just that. turning the lights off and turning on some music is so attractive to me. Yeah. And I have such good memories of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, okay, so yeah, you're enjoying the music, but it's also a time to sort of self-reflect. So you're putting yourself into the music, you're you're experiencing, you're contextualizing the music with your own experience. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. Uh-huh. Definitely, the, so yeah. So a little bit of, I'm probably reading a little too much into this, but there's a little bit of, you know, learning about yourself and examining behaviors of your life that is just not done because you you're, you don't have that time to do it anymore. You know what I find a little frightening is the fact that the music that I loved, I, the first music I remember loving is still my favorite music. <laughs> like I used to, I remember when I was like, my youngest musical memories are of this tape that, that, that I had that was like a 50s compilation. So mm-hmm. it had Buddy Holly and it had like Jackson 5, Rockin' Robin, and it had <laughs> yeah. just, um, you know, Roy Orbison and all these just super fucking good songs like the oldies which i still listen to and then i think of later becoming obsessed with weird al yankovic and like oh. i i can't i can't say that i listen to him still with the same ears but if i hear like one of his old songs you know like like a like a surgeon i will lose my fucking mind and still be like that same kid <laughs> You know, the the blues music I listen to now, that's some of my earliest musical memories and the jazz music I listen to that my dad was playing. That's still the same shit I listen to now. And the rock music, Steely Dan, I still fucking listen to that shit. You know what I mean? Like, I I think our kids are fucked. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) not mine because I won't have that, but. It was funny. My my parents just came over um, to visit for a little bit before I did this show. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mom was like, are you listening to jazz? I, you still like that? <laughs> like, I still like that. How can Are you, you supposed n- to outgrow jazz? I'm like, this is this is Billie Holiday, and she's all, oh "What God. holiday?" I was oh like, God. "Oh my gosh, <laughs> what is wrong with you, woman? You, <laughs> you That's, raised me, and you don't understand this. Like, I don't get it." That's weird. Yeah, it was, it was crazy, man. It was just wild. You still listen to jazz? <laughs> you still like that? As if like you go through a phase. Or something of music. Like, I cannot stand blues anymore because I just listened to it when I was 12. No, you, it's a fucking part of who you are. It's how you see the world. It, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's so much more detailed than a top 40s or top 100 fucking hit nowadays. I mean, it's, yeah, it's the whole experience. Well, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for that, that episode. That was a lot, (laughs) that brought out a lot. That was a little like therapy almost. Yeah, I try. (laughs) i can well how can other people find you online how can these fine listeners track you down i'm on the the face words face (laughs) face the words with face (laughs) um facebook uh down to the crossroads on facebook i think down to the crosswords (laughs) (laughs) i wish um or on twitter at chelsea girl 19 uh, definitely tune in to her on those social networks that you are also a part of. Uh, she puts a lot of imagery and music and reference, musical reference, that doesn't make it into the show. Uh, so it's it's absolutely worth following and tuning in and checking out. And she she even you know just 
cartoons and stuff like that get filtered through. It's it's really entertaining. It's a really great page or uh, Twitter profile to follow. So do yourselves a favor and check her out. Aaron, it is, once again, always an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure's online. Cool. Well, uh, I'm going to be talking to you next week about satanic yes. witchery, I think. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think yeah. it's going to be a really fun episode. I am too. All right. Well, uh, until next time, hail Satan. Hail Satan. Welcome to another Old Nick Peep Show. The only segment delivers beautiful women, masculine men, and intriguing information on all things Old Nick. Joining us, as always, is the very first Old Nick chick, the beautiful witch Marilyn Mansfield and her handsome beau, senior editor Warlock Zothamog. How are you both? Good. How are you, Adam? We're doing great. <laughs> it's like a roller coaster, that intro. Fantastic. I'm glad to hear you guys are well, uh, especially after such a... Uh, a party I've heard of. <laughs> I've, I've seen peaks of. Yep, yep. We uh, we attended a party, all right. <laughs> so this was, and you know, I'm going to ask a little bit more here, but this was this was an old Nick magazine party of sorts. Um. Yeah. Uh. You know, Magister um, Bob Johnson uh, hosted a party, a uh, fantastic party, might I add. And um, yeah, it had. It was definitely a. Definitely had a lot of old Nick in there. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great party. Good food, good people, good booze, yeah. good cigars, great music, uh, lots of eye candy walking around. I mean, mm. what else can you ask for? And what else would you expect when you're dealing with old Nick? Dolls. Uh, oh, yeah, dolls. <laughs> that's right. Marilyn brought a doll down, a special request from Bob. You can't even really refer to him as a doll. I mean, that's just cheating. He's a, right. he's a, he's a, <laughs> One of your creations. He's, he's a baby. He's a very, very demonic baby. <laughs> Was it Adrian? I mean, is it the no, name? No, he is actually Nicholas Olden. Yeah. Uh, baby Nick, uh -huh. calling him Little Nicky. He has several names already. <laughs> okay, so for those of you who may not know, I, I doubt there are anyone out there that doesn't know, but, you know, just in case, um, Marilyn Mansfield, you you create dolls, right? Yes, I, I am a uh, reborn doll artist, which means I create babies from blank doll parts, but I um, do horror babies as well, so, you know, vampires, it, demons, uh, zombies. I was going to say, it sounds, uh, it sounds a little bit of a cop-out saying, well, you make dolls, but if you've seen... If you've seen these creations of 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 hers of, of yours, they the the painting involved is really fucking amazing. It, it you know it's it's sort of um, as you were saying you know it's it's sort of the horror aspect of it. So it it's much more than just a little bit of blush. I mean there is <laughs> there is texture and anatomy involved in making every single one of these and so it's really really amazing when you get to see them and and so you you had mentioned that um nick olden was it yeah uh baby uh nicholas olden nicholas and, olden. Uh, yeah so what, and, what were some of the traits you put into that 
Well, you know, before a few weeks before the the uh, party, um, me and Bob had discussed uh, possibly having a uh, type of Rosemary's baby, um, you know, special surprise for everybody. <laughs> and, um, you know, Bob had actually uh, was, you know, pointing out um, the part of Rosemary's baby where they say, look at his hands and his feet. Now, the, the great thing about Rosemary's baby for me as an artist is that they never show the baby. So, you know, it's, it's like um, an interpretation of what I think the baby would have looked like. And, yeah. um, you know, I've, I've done other, uh, well, I did 